Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word. Week to week, day to day, we have turned to it for a place where our bowed knee can find the instructions of how we live, how we think, how we feel. We'd ask that you would help us along those lines this morning. In your son's name, amen. At the top of the left-hand side of the sermon notes, I merely want to point out that I have a quote from Habakkuk. Now, that's just showing off. That's what pastors do when they, they find some obscure book that you don't even think is in the Bible, Obadiah, and they quote it. This is a famous quote from Habakkuk. I will take my stand to watch and station myself on the tower and look forth to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold. He whose soul is not upright in him shall fail, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now right there at the end, you realize that you'd heard that before. Maybe even you'd read through this in Habakkuk. But that phrase, the righteous shall live by his faith, which is quoted a few times in the New Testament, two of which times are on the left hand, right-hand side of your sermon notes. Point us to, well, Habakkuk's prophecy of the coming gospel. Paul and the writer of Hebrews both use it in that sense that it is the hope we have, it is the answer we have in the death, resurrection, atoning death of Jesus Christ and our faith in it. And I've been thinking about it recently and I was in a couple conversations recently where we're evangelicals. I mean, just the word evangelical means gospel-oriented. The euangelion is the gospel. That's where we get the word evangelical. But we forget it. We forget it, not that you wouldn't immediately be able to speak to it, understand it, but we don't, we don't even gather together with the saints in terms of the gospel. And it tells us the righteous shall live by his faith. It tells us that our very living our being, what we're going forward in in our lives should be far more rooted perhaps in the gospel than it is. Now we're an evangelical church and we're a church that is not held together by much, you know, bailing wire and gum maybe would hold this church together. No government, no membership. There's coffee. And not even good coffee. You know you love Jesus because you come here, and some of you drink the coffee. The rest of you go to the co-op. 
and bring coffee here because you're good Christians, but you're not, you only can go so far. But it's very easy for even a church as unstructured as this to forget what it is the church is, what it is the body of believers. When you say these phrases, the body of believers, the saints, what are we referring to? I was in another discussion this week where we took took a vote as to whether or not we thought the church would be better off if persecuted. Oh, you've been in those discussions before. Oh, you know how faithful the church in China is? They're persecuted. Everybody goes, yeah, you bet. First world churches, you know, Bermuda shorts, go to the old country buffet after church, stuff yourself beyond belief, go home, fall asleep. That's your Sunday. America. And so you think, my gosh, if they were only killing Christians in this town, not me, mind you, but other Christians, other Christians, boy, I'd be, I'd have to really think about my faith. It's probably true. I was wondering, after this conversation about the persecution of the church, whether or not the church is persecuted in the West. Um, you say, oh, you mean like the secular humanists and, and the stuff they do? You know, banning Jesus from the public square, all sorts of things? No, I, I think the church visible persecutes the church invisible. You know, with that, the, the church visible, that means all the institutions like this gathering together Sunday morning after Sunday morning with varying degrees of ecclesiology, books of church order, doctrines, whatever they are, preferences, pastors, seminaries. Is it a persecution of the church invisible? Is it an opportunity for those of us who are saved to be made better Christians by this persecution? That's what I'm suggesting to you this morning. That the persecution of churchiness could make us better Christians in non-churchiness. I want to read Romans 1. Now this, Romans 1.1, you say, "Uh uh-oh, pastor starts with Romans 1.1, 17 months later we're through with Romans. No, I'm not going to do a series on Romans. But what's interesting is sometimes when you preach in Romans, you start a little bit later, especially in Romans 1. You want to get to that stuff about, you know, they did not honor God as God, give them thanks. Look at this. Paul, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and designated son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including ourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it seem to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is playing pretty heavily 
in Paul's sense of self-ministry and his union with the believers. It's almost as if he was recognizing from top to bottom that the work of Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is was our cause. Someone was telling me, we were talking last night about yard signs, political yard signs, and somebody was sharing that there's a, some church, I don't know the church, the, maybe in Pullman, was putting up yard signs that says, I love my church, or something like that. Which is fine to do. I wouldn't mind if you loved all souls. I wouldn't care if you got your crayons out and made a sign that said, I love all souls, Christian church. But there's something, I feel something's wrong, missing. What, what's missing? Jesus Christ. It, the church shouldn't be that luminous. It's Jesus Christ. It's for the gospel of God, the gospel concerning his son, designating him the son of God in power. By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have received grace, bringing about the obedience of faith. I love my Lord. Might be a sign you want to put up in the, in the yard. I love Jesus Christ. The church is made. The very church that you, whatever church you go to, this one, another one, doesn't matter. If it's a believing church, the church you go to, you're going to, not because, I hope, that it has a sales pitch, a good advertising program, a PR firm running how we look. I hope you want to go to church because you want to be with the believers, people who have shared what Paul just said. People who have had that come home to them. The very church that we speak, the church invisible, is made by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church visible is made by a whole raft of other things. How much effort to distinguish one Christian from another Christian. And then at the end of the day, everybody's wringing their hands because of lack of church unity, right? Oh man, the non-Christians don't believe in us because we're so, so much disunity. Let's all make our groups get together. You ever try to make the groups who exist for their difference? That's why they exist. They don't exist because there's a few miles that people would have to travel to get to that one versus this one. It's not geographical. Churches in Moscow exist for churches in Moscow, sure, and Pullman, Pullman, if they have churches in Pullman. But... uh, We, we, we discovered the disunity when we arranged the disunity. I spent uh, last night with a few friends over, two other couples, with us included, meant three churches. And yes, some were Presbyterian. And we were talking about, this is why it was on my mind. 
we make churches about everything else, then we demand that we try to somehow make the churches get along when they exist for the very purpose of not. That's why I'm over here, is I don't agree with that theology, or I don't like those kind of songs, or I think that is worldliness beyond belief, or that's the road to Rome. Whatever the case, I've got some kind of argument with others. And then I insist that in that arena, we find agreement. So the only people that are going to agree in that arena, just let me be a prophet here, are the liberals. Because they don't believe anything. You, the only way you could start getting ecumenical, you know, when you have a Protestant talking about getting together with Rome, I don't know if you've read anything, but they don't agree for 500 years. And rightly so. And so anybody who'd put Rome and Protestantism together has to say, those things don't matter. And you, I could do that one of two ways. One is liberalism, because ideas don't matter. Who are we to say that this is right and that's wrong? The other way is to say it's the gospel that joins. I'm not joining together with a Nazarene or a Methodist or a Presbyterian because the church should be, but I should be, and I should be on the basis of the gospel. It is what I share with them that makes me one with them. Not the institutions that we built after the fact. Now, some institutions are necessary. I've got no problem with the church. I mean, I've got, obviously, I'm a clergyman, for heaven's sake. I've got building, pews. I don't have staff. Just a thought. It'd be nice to have a lackey. We know we have to get together. We don't have to make those arrangements. We know we have to do things decently in order. No problem. People like different degrees of beauty in their services. Um, I was thinking, by the way, completely off topic. Remove the cross. One. And have a painting done on this wall that was really beautiful but had nothing religious in it. Great idea, right? No saints, no Virgin Mary, no <coughs> angels floating above because that's when, you know, the believers go into idolatry immediately. It's just like, oh, ducks. <laughs> you know, whatever the, okay, off topic, but uh, we have to do things. We get together. We start to erase barriers. We need to remind ourselves that our unity is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, if you haven't passed from death to life, if you have not fallen on your knees and called on the living God for the salvation of your soul, you're not in the church to begin with. Tragically, the you know, churches can create means by which unbelievers can join. But this including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, that is a, that's a crucial state of being in which you should be seeking the unity of the saints on the basis of that. Not the unity of the saints on the basis of all souls Christian getting along with the Nazarenes. Not a problem if they do. We do get along with Nazarenes. Get along with Baptists. Get along with a lot of things. But that's not what All Souls Christian is being encouraged to be about. Each one of you individually is looking to the gospel in you. 
which is, one, forgiveness of sins and life eternal, on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, to the effect of an obedience of faith. Even the gospel becomes, I, I, you know my views on Satan, well, you don't know my views on Satan, so I won't tell you. Um, temptation, you've heard of that? Where you're tempted to do, ever read Screwtape Letters? No, I don't agree with Lewis's view of demonology, but I, I like the fact that it's all very, 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 very subtle temptation. It's not, here's a bottle of vodka, get drunk. It's have this passive-aggressive response to your mom. That's, that's the kind of thing he covers. And with the temptations, it just hamstring us in life. Here's a temptation. It's amazing. Watch when bringing up this topic. You know, the gospel should be more of a part of our lives. Hey, guys, you're nodding because you're, you're believers. I like the gospel. Well, let's start a program of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. And everything throws out that was a seamless path. When we look at St. Paul's mode here, gospel everything, Romans 1 1, it's the gospel, folks. Well, he said, nod and say, oh, yeah, he was kind of into evangelism. Or we should be more into evangelism if we want the gospel to be. Don't forget what is. Not some plan for what will be. Or what will turn this around to be something else later on. You are a Christian. You have been called out of darkness. You live in Christ. You have a righteousness right now that's in his grace. And in his grace to you to obey him. You have this right now. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of the, kind of the zen of heaven. I was in my yard because I had to be yesterday. The wife said, let's go work in the yard. So I, we went and worked in the yard. Later in the day, after I had bathed, I found myself a combustible, lit it, wandered out into my yard, which was now looking pristine, right? Because it was mowed and stuff had been done. And I, I felt two thoughts hit me. One was, okay, we could be, maybe even in two years, we could dig this up, and we could do this, this, and this, and this, and put a deck here, we, maybe we do that, and put a bush in there, and a different tree there, because that's going to have to come out. And all of the future lay out in front of me of what I would have to do to make this yard adequate. And another thought came to me, is, wow, this is great. I want to encourage you to think, now this is great. Take the moment, the gospel, you have believed it. He is your Lord. The righteousness of faith is, is, is surrounding you. You don't have to create a program of door-to-door -door evangelism to make evangelism important. I don't mind if you do, but you don't have to. You don't have to shuttle off the gospel to people who are called to evangelism. You've believed it. 
You have it. It's this existential reality in you. Not only your belief in it, but the effect of the belief in it. It's not for when it's going to eventually happen, when you take that bush out and put it in a tree. It's what we have. It's what we serve. The service of it into the future is just going to happen when I dwell on the fact that it is. It's a unity you already have. You've shared this in Christ. It's a doctrine we all agree on. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. We don't get the gospel important by creating whatever system we're going to create to make the gospel outreach happen, where the church starts to buy tracks and have a track rack out on the street or has a program of reaching people for... No. The gospel starts to be important for those who in the spirit, the service of their spirit is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their faith already exists. They've recognized their faith. We don't have to wait till the church is done. Christ is already done in you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want you to stop and think. It was an idea I was thinking of, and it's a pipe dream, and I can't do it because it involves not doing, doing the not doing thing. You know, that kind of, you can't organize that which is supposed to be, by nature, unorganized. But the joy of fellowship, last night, three, three couples, three churches, talking about the gospel and really enjoying it. And I disagree with one of these guys, Root and Branch, 180 out. He is wrong in everything he affirms. Because I am right in everything I affirm. And we're very good friends. And we had a very good time. And it was the gospel. Now, when you realize the unity you have with the saints, don't start keep praying that the churches be unified. Pray that your mind would center on the gospel and that you'd meet other Christians from other bodies that would never have to join your body, never have to come and visit all souls. They don't have to. They just have to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you meet them, and you go, oh my God, a believer, a saint. There's a place of maturity and contribution and encouragement. He wants to get together. He hasn't even met these people in Rome. We can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brethren, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentile. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, in bold, some in red, I am not, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live Habakkuk 2.4. I take some meditation. He who through faith is righteous shall live. What are we thinking about? What should this church be thinking about? What should youth be thinking about? The gospel. It is the power of God. Whatever programs we have, whatever cool events we do, our breakfasts, our whatever, I know that's it, <laughs> that's all we do. Um, those are nice things, but the gospel is the power of God to everyone who has faith. It is the righteousness of God revealed through faith, for faith, because this is the path. And we ought to be about on that path, that our encouragement one to another, that we gather together from some with some Nazarene or some Baptist or some Presbyterian, and you find out, yeah, they're a believer. No, not a person who goes to church X, but they're a believer. Now, I know, I don't know what the per percentage of actual belief is in All Souls Christian, I assume that since we don't have anything to reward you with, you're probably pretty close to all believers. There might be one or two that might not quite know if they believe. But I also don't know the percentages in other churches as well. But you, you, you know you have met people where the initial thing is either a discussion of how you differ, or you wonder why there's something in their testimony or something in their commentary about Christianity that doesn't sound like Jesus Christ and his righteousness is the most important thing to them. Your heart as a believer is looking for believers. That's where our unity is. It is not enforcing organizations together who exist because they differ. Jesus Christ has already made us one in his gospel and I'm just looking for those people who have had that moment. I'm looking for, bear with me, this is what's not going to happen unless it does. Wouldn't it be great if there was a secret society of believers from all the different churches, somehow we knew who we were, we loved to get together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that there could be couldn't be believers who weren't a part of it because they are making their eschatology or their view of the mechanism of the gospel or whatever it is. They've got something else going on really big in their minds. But would it be nice to have a secret society of people who had a special little hand signal at Winco that said, I'm one of them. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is everything to me in what it, what, that I believe it, and two, that the righteousness that comes from it, two things, the gospel believed and the righteousness that comes of it. 
That's a great place. That's great fellowship. Now you can't do it because I'm a clergyman and if a clergyman did it, it would look like a ministry of all souls. And the other people who don't like all souls would go, I suspect you. Because we're, the, the institutions are not designed to be unified. We designed them. They're not designed to be unified. But Jesus Christ has designed us to be one. Be looking for the believers. They're a great satisfaction in it. Oh, you can even argue with them. Believe me, I argue with my Christian friends from other churches. But in Christ, where Jesus Christ and his gospel has filled the windshield already, and we're so satisfied this other person who disagrees with you 180 degrees believes it too. It's a life we live now. It's what we already have. We don't have to wait for ecumenicism to march through the evangelical church and when you're feeling a little nervous because it looks like they're going to include the Seventh-day Adventists or what other group you don't like. The health and wealth charismatics. How can you let them in? Because once the institutions, once the people who drive institutions start making negotiated settlements of what theology they're going to give up, you either say, we're unified because we agree, or we're unified because we don't have positions. The church, all the believers in all the different churches are never going to be unified because they agree about what their church believes. So we don't have a choice between liberalism and disobedience. Right? We have a choice of stepping back from our disobedience of insisting that unity occur at the church level and say, you know, maybe the unity of the saints occurs at me level because I have made important that which actually unified me with me, the other believers. I have got some weird views. They're right. But I don't expect you to agree with them. Because that's not what our unity should be based on. You know Jesus Christ. I know Jesus Christ. Now in the Hebrews passage... I didn't intend to put this much in it. I kept going back in context. I had found the quote, and I think, how much more do I need to put in here? Okay, I've got to put that in too. I've got to put that in too. I, I stopped arbitrarily at one point. <clears throat> but so that is, suffice it to say, as a spoiler, down there you see at the bottom the red, my righteous one shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews is working his way up to the Habakkuk quote as well. And, I, and as I noticed, as I read before that quote occurring, seemed to point to this joy of together that a lot of people have struggles with. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Ah, right there at the beginning. What is the confession of our hope? The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgiveness of sins, life eternal. There you go. Let us hold fast to that. Without wavering. Okay, really fast. No, no wavering. 
For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It tosses that, that wonderful sense, that hand grenade of fellowship out in the middle of, of you, and you go, oh, if only it were like that. If only the people I knew would come to church. You know, you shouldn't neglect the, 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 the assembling together as is the habit of some. Stirring up one another to love and good work. And sometimes, you know, you can do that in church. Here we are in church, church visible, and we're attempting to do that to a certain degree Sunday to Sunday. But you know, your real unity, the family status you have, the membership you have with one another, because of the confession of your hope, gives you an access to somebody very successfully and thinking how to stir one another up to love and good works is so much easier inside the inside the parameters of belief not inside the parameters of an attempt to have an all-souls parishioner give advice to a Presbyterian ain't gonna work I've dealt with them they suspect me but as a Christian friend who share the gospel, for whom the confession of our hope is without waver. We have the opportunity to stir one another up to good works. That's the point of it. For he who is, what's the phrase out of Habakkuk? He who through faith is righteous shall live. That's what we're about. That was what the prophecy of Habakkuk was, was directed at, this event called the gospel. A righteousness which is through faith. You can encourage those people because they know that you share their faith and so you share the same desire for righteousness. You want, you, that's why we get together. Get together with those people. It's easy, we were talking last night sort of self-commenting on how odd it was that three couples, three churches it's tempting, it's natural, that, especially in a small church like this, you're going to be hospitable to somebody, and you, you know you only got so many moments to have somebody over for dinner, so you want to have people that you're fellowshipping with like regularly. But I do encourage you, to whatever degree you can, to be looking for the believers. Not looking for another member of another church. Looking only for the saints. Oh, you can have a different ministry with the people that don't know Jesus Christ or are all about their eschatology, even if they do. But looking for the person for whom the gospel is the greatest thing. One, they will not have the barriers against you that people who are about their church will have. If they're about their God, they will have no barrier against somebody who is about their God. And you'll have this opportunity to meet together. Don't neglect it. Because it's in the gospel, not in our agreement to meet here at 9.30 on a Sunday. It's not because we have a mortgage we're paying on this building. It's not because of all the other things that loosely hold us together. Those things exist. They may be good. They may be silly. But you want to be following as Christians the gospel. For if we sin deliberately, 
I don't, I'm going to read this passage to you and you're going to go, I, I really want to know what that means. For if we sin deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. The man who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the man who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that's a kind of a nervous passage. What? No longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we sin deliberately, if I were to ask a question honestly now, have you sinned deliberately after you became a Christian? What am I following? I have to. Honesty. All of us. We have sinned deliberately. But that's not what it's about. This is the danger of jumping right into the middle of Hebrews. Hebrews is about people who were moving back to the law, back to the Hebrew law, uh, on top of their Christianity, the Judaizing problem. Same problem as in Galatians, except they were Gentiles and these were Jews. They're moving back to it. And the writer of Hebrews is protecting the gospel. And he wants to warn them that God does not play nice to the kind of, sometimes, the kind of rejection Christians go through of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They start to put all sorts of other things, adding things to the gospel, making it ritually accessible. Been in a couple of debates recently. If you're my friend on Facebook, you realize I may have broke the internet uh, the other day. Had a good time. Trying to push back against certain viewpoints. But this is how important, whatever you're going to deal with on this passage, it shows the importance of not profaning the blood of the covenant. This is not the blood of the old covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. What is Jesus Christ? This is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. You don't want to profane the work of Christ on the cross. You don't want to have the church be about all sorts of other things that people will start to mix in. I mentioned it a few weeks ago about the Nehushtan, the serpent raised in the wilderness that was a representative of Christ, and how by the time of Hezekiah it was being worshipped as a god. My father pointed out to me that Jesus Christ has ended up being the same thing. We have crucifixes and rosaries, and there's a little Jesus that ends up being a god, an idol to people. We are very able to even take that which is allowed, that which is beautiful, that which is permitted and give you a hundred years and we will be turning away from the gospel to make that more important. Our church's tradition, 
Is the gospel important to you? Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The reason we say, the reason we think that a persecuted church is a more faithful church is because those fault lines between Christians don't seem to matter as much. People don't go to the stake for their eschatology. If somebody said, if you insist, I'm a preterist, if you insist on your preterism, <clears throat> we'll kill you. Well, strangely compelling. I'm willing to consider other views. <laughs> I'll even consider your view, as benighted as it may be. You'd wonder about somebody who would die for his eschatology. I would. You might. No, I really feel it's my eschatology is that important to me. These are people in persecution when you know there's a there's a lazy man's guide to religion, and then there's the faith. Now, all of us in the faith are going to pick up some of those lazy aspects. We'll get interested in eschatology, we'll get interested in philosophy of the faith, all sorts of things we can get interested in. But if the gospel does not keep its foremost position as a point of unity, that I want to be able to walk up... Now, as you know, I think Catholicism is apostasy. I have met Catholic Christians. I want to be able to walk up and extend the right hand of fellowship to the Catholic Christian who has believed the gospel, but only the one that has believed the gospel. I want to be able to walk up to the Baptist, not because he's a Baptist in a church that claims that it's founded on the gospel, but because he has believed the gospel. Because he shares this moment. I can't find, I'll be looking for kinds of unity with the unbelieving Baptist that I can't find. I'll find it with the believing Catholic, even though he's trapped in an apostate church. But I'll have unity with him because he believes in Jesus Christ and he has passed from death to life. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. Remember this whole idea is where righteousness comes from. The reason the gospel exists is because righteousness wasn't coming from you. You had to be forgiven for your unrighteousness. God loved you, wanted his world to be run better, lived in by people who are redeemed, who are able to be righteous, able to think like him in the world he had given them. And that's what it's about. How do you live? That's where our confidence has to be. It's where we'll stand against persecution of every sort. Hopefully, right now, since we're first world and we don't have, you know, ISIS tacking us to crosses, we only have the visible church sticking out their foot to trip us. Trying to make this stuff more important, the stuff of churchness more important. That's where our battle is, in many cases far more threatening to find other people of our institutional unities threatening us with all sorts of things. Find the gospel. 
believe the gospel, affect the gospel in your life, rejoice in, 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 the, in the gospel moment you have. You stand in grace, in confidence, in faith, and you could be with someone right now who shares that. Quote, for yet a little while, and the coming one shall come, and shall not tarry, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You don't want to be those kind of people who build a Christianity that isn't the gospel. It can keep you busy. It's what church is like. Some of you, others who passed through this church, have thanked me for having no programs. You're welcome. We get so easily filled up with not rejoicing, enduring, exampling, uh, uh, practicing our faith in Jesus Christ. We shall live by faith. That's what we're supposed to be about, living by our faith. What is your faith? What do you believe in? If you just, just at that moment, the righteous shall live by faith, say, is it in Jesus Christ or is it in Christendom? Whatever version of Christendom you prefer, is your faith in Christendom or is your faith in Jesus Christ? You will never be unified except by liberalism and that by denying everything you hold sacred. Or you'll be unified with those who have passed from death to life. We are not, among, not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and keep their souls. Find this in your mind. We, we need to be thinking this way. We need to be thinking about this. This is where we care for one another. If you don't, to whatever degree you can, rebuild it in your life and keep it. It's that, that confidence, unwavering, hold it fast. It's the ground of gathering together. It's the ground of encouragement. It's the ground of righteousness. And the writer of Hebrews says, your soul's in question here. Who have faith and keep their souls. And he's not joking. I don't know what he means. What do you mean you could lose my soul? Well, yeah, various ways. Being a ginger would do it. Engineers, I don't even have them to begin with, so that's a... See, all sorts of theories about souls, but whatever the writer of Hebrews is meaning, he means it seriously. Have your faith and keep your soul. It's your real church. Watch out for uh, the counterfeit. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. For the death of your son. His resurrection. His ascension to the right hand. And the message of faith in him by which we are saved, by which we live, by which we please you, by which we are drawn together and united with each other. We'd ask that our 
faith in the gospel would find us meeting other believers from other fellowships where we could just rejoice in the satisfaction of being one, not waiting for the ecumenicists, but knowing that your son has made us one. This we ask in your son's name. Amen.